Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back to the Pebble Report Podcast. We've got the usual suspects from the Purple Row crew back on board in the year 2022. My name is Justin Wick, of course, joined with the co-host, the legend himself, Kenneth Weber. And despite everything we know about the current state of the MLB lockout, Kenneth, we got ourselves a minor league season in front of us. Yeah, I know, man, I'm excited. I I figured we would pull ourselves out of hibernation at this point just because some form of baseball is being played. Uh, and hey, this is the Pebble Report podcast, which is focused on Rockies minor leagues, and that's all there is to talk about right now. So it's time. We're back, baby. The last you would have heard from us was in the Arizona Fall League days. Mm-hmm. That was the last minor league taste that I guess any of us had of 2021. So again, once again, we are so happy to be able to bring this back. So happy to be bringing only the finest Colorado Rockies minor league content to your ears, wherever you may be here on planet Earth or beyond for all we know. Anyways, minor league baseball, yeah, you never know what you're going to Jupiter, Florida. (laughs) Or Jupiter, yeah, of course. (laughs) Minor league baseball is to be played as scheduled. This is one of the few positives of professional baseball right now. And if you are tuning into this podcast, there's a good chance that you do not want to hear a single word about the MLB lockout, which you happen to be in luck. We're not really going to talk about it at all. What we are going to talk about is the minor league impact of what it has in front of us. And because we do know that these games are going to be taking place from AAA and below as soon as this upcoming April, it's going to be a little bit different. You know, 40-man guys are not going to be available. So the AAA slate is going to be somewhat limited on players. Of course, that's going to trickle down throughout the rest of the minor leagues. We've already seen the Rockies make a couple of minor league sizings to potentially protect against this kind of thing big shout out to 
one named Ty Block that will be eventually making his way down to what we imagine will be Albuquerque. So this is still going to be relatively normal. We are still going to see a lot of familiar faces and assuming you guys are pretty versed as listeners in the prospect landscape of the Colorado Rockies. In many respects, this is going to be business as usual. And Kenneth and I just so happened to luck out to be assigned this podcast for minor league coverage that we're not necessarily dealing with a black hole of information at this point in time. So anyways, I do kind of want to open up with this. And again, this is all we'll touch on for the lockout because, you know, there's enough baseball negativity going on in the world. But as far as the product that's going to be on the field, and Kenneth, this is what I kind of wanted to bring you in on. It is going to be different. There are going to be some abnormalities. It's going to essentially take the spotlight, which is going to be something that, you know, if you're really interested in minor league coverage, this is going to be something new. But I do kind of want to just open this up as vaguely as possible. What do you really see a lockout present ongoing type of minor league configuration? What do you see it's going to be? Is it going to be different? We imagine it's going to be kind of awesome from a minor league standpoint, but you know, what is the underlying message that you see with minor league baseball during a lockout? I think it's going to be an opportunity for a couple of guys to become, uh, to get onto people's radars where they normally wouldn't. It's kind of the whole silver lining of this, this debacle that major league baseball is in is people are going to have to find their fix elsewhere and college baseball is kicking off right now. There seems to be a little bit more attention paid to the start of college baseball, just because baseball shooting itself in the foot on the major league level. But as the minor league season starts rolling out, I think a lot more exposure is going to come. Um, the good side is you'll start becoming a little bit more familiar as a fan with some of the deeper pl- prospects in an organization. But the downside is a lot of the high end talent are those 40 man guys who will be affected by the major league lockout. So when it comes to the Rockies in particular, Uh, We saw Ryan Feltner debut last year for the Rockies. He's a 40-man roster guy, so however long this drags out, no Ryan Feltner. Um, I think the big one that a lot of people became familiar with, we haven't seen him in Colorado yet, but it's Elahiris Montero and Ezekiel Tovar. Those guys really came onto the scene in 2021. 40-man decisions were there. I think Montero was actually already on the 40-man at the start of the season. But regardless... We want to see those guys build off of their 2021 season. However long this lasts, those are the two guys that we will have to wait to see what they look like from, you know, 2021 to 2022. So downside, but then you get to see a little bit more of those players deeper on those prospect lists that you wouldn't otherwise be familiar with. You know, I do think you hit the nail on the head right there. And especially as you go through, I mean, just even looking at prospect rankings and understanding what the 40-man roster configuration looks like, It's too bad to necessarily see that this is going to curb the development of a lot of people. And I'm speaking of, you know, the Ezekiel Tovars of the world. We saw him play in the Arizona Fall League and really kind of, I hate to say the competition was above the present level that he was, but I mean, he was very young in the grand scheme of things compared to the players that he was playing with down in Arizona throughout October and November. And now to be locked out of, you know, this was the progress that he was able to make you know, I wouldn't say statistically he was having a tough fall league campaign. I mean, it was certainly suggestive of he had a little bit of ways to go, but that was to be expected with his age. And I figured, you know, to be honest, he probably outperformed a lot of projections that people thought that he was going to put together in the fall league. And now all of a sudden you see him locked out at this point in time. He was going to be able to go back to the minor league routine that he was used to and now it's just an indefinite pause that, you know, assuming that he wasn't going to be in AAA like the Ryan Rollison's of the world, 
all of a sudden this is a lower level minor league guy that, you know, let's say that you were going to see him in Spokane or in Hartford whenever he was going to get kicked back up again. Now it's just going to be that indefinite waiting period of, you know, let's assume that he does start in double A Hartford whenever the lockout does end. That's just going to be, in a lot of respects, it kind of curbs that developmental future that you really have in mind for a lot of guys. And that's, I think in a lot of perspective, it's very easy to get lost in the lockout when you're discussing, you know, millions of dollars in these different negotiations. And I mean, just the simple clauses. And now we're looking at a young minor leaguer that maybe these transactions don't necessarily apply to him, but the lockout most, most certainly does. So it's very difficult and it's very hard to necessarily, I mean, well, it's very easy to empathize on that rather, but it's, I think in the, if you take that aside, and I mean, you recognize the opportunities that this is going to open up for some players. And certainly it's unfortunate for a lot of those 40 men guys, but somebody's going to inevitably have a chance to fill those shoes. Let's put it this way. Somebody that shouldn't be in Hartford is going to have the opportunity to be, that could inevitably be, that could end up being a pretty good future for somebody just to be able to have the chance to crack into it. So I think that's exciting. I know we've had a bunch of discussion with the crew that we've had over at Purple Row talking about where are the shoes going to be filled? And this is something that we've seen, I guess, wholeheartedly over with the pitching staff in Albuquerque. This is where Ty Black got signed on. This is where, you know, we can anticipate seeing some familiar faces that I refuse to call them innings eaters, but for lack of a better term, I suppose, you know, the Frank Duncans and the Brandon Golds of the Albuquerque pitching staff. I think that's going to be a group of people that really are going to be dependent on, you know, maybe that's all they are going to be is going to be those AAA anchors that are going to really secure the pitching staff. But it is curious to see because of these 40 man guys that are out of the mix, there is going to be no Ryan Rollison to anchor it. Ryan Feltner isn't going to be able to even pitch in AAA for the first time ever because he did make that double A to big league switch. And, he got two innings last year, actually. Okay, that's right. At the end, that's right. I'm two sorry. whole innings. And then got called back down. Very nice. Um, yeah. And where is this? Where is that for development, too? I mean, you go from this taste of the big leagues that didn't necessarily go well, and now you can't even earn the AAA stake. But I mean, it's amazing to take a look and see that. You know, just the turnover that exists within AAA baseball, it is relatively big year after year, no matter what. And I mean, anybody that's in these minor league cities is going to be able to attest to that. But, you know, just when I was kind of getting down on it, it made me realize literally all 30 teams are in the same position. And when we cover the Rockies so directly, it's so easy to get wrapped up in so much of this. But I truly think, I mean, when you look at everybody's 40-man guys are unavailable, that means all of the 30 all of the thirty big league teams and their minor league systems are also dealing with those vacancies. So this might be kind of an open-ended question, and I didn't necessarily think about asking it until we frame it like that. But with the vacancies that do exist, do you think that the Rockies are better off or worse off compared to other teams? I mean, it's not just, I mean, everybody's worse off, of course, but... With the people that they have missing, I understand this is very open-ended, but is there any chance to look at this going, the Rockies aren't as bad off as some other teams, just given the state of the farm system, or could this end up being something that the Rockies are actually a little bit worse off than some other teams? I think it's more the latter, and I think that this is something that has kind of built up because the Rockies have had a huge 40-man roster crunch, especially this past offseason, but that has been you know, a, a ticking clock for their minor league system that kind of ran out over the past two seasons. And then you look at the other side of the coin 
and say, okay, everything else that's not there at that you have to be on the 40 man decision time is largely didn't pan out. You know, this is the time where we would be looking at a Riley Pint as being kind of that, okay, you know, he's almost there. Um, so the upper levels of the Rockies minor leagues is already pretty barren. Like you saw the results last year. There were some improvements, especially in, uh, well, like, yeah, Taylor Motter just go nutty there for a while and that kept things afloat in Albuquerque. Um, but, you know, it started to improve a little bit. But overall, it's you can't really make the argument that the talent isn't in Fresno and Spokane last year. Well, now you're removing Ryan Valade, you're removing Colton Welker, Ryan Rollison, Ryan Feltner, you know, pretty much any of that high-end talent that you have in AAA and AA is what's being locked out. So I think that just with the roster decisions that they've had to make over the past two years and the lack of talent in the upper levels of the minor leagues, they're kind of in a worse spot than a lot of other organizations. I think that's a, I mean, that's a tasteful way of putting it. That's a respectful way to see it, especially, you know, there, there is no good way of framing that. I mean, it's interesting to take a look at, you know, sure, there's going to hopefully be some optimism of the ones that are going to fill those shoes. So inevitably, you can only hope for the best and try to put together that maybe this is going to be a good thing. But especially when it is so many people that, you know, you mentioned the Ryan Rollison story of we've been waiting so long to finally get a taste of this. And then there's just yet another setback of, you know, COVID locks him out of 2020 playing in the big leagues of when we thought his debut was going to be. 2021 he gets shut out because he has appendicitis and then he's sidelined as much as he is and now he broke his hand. yes that's right and then here it is we're finally supposed to see him we're finally supposed to get a taste of this guy in the big leagues and you know maybe he would have easily started the year in triple a assuming that peter lambert was going to cover that fifth rod that fifth starter spot in the big leagues come opening day now we're at this indefinite pause and now we can't even see him hit that triple a reset and it goes for him it goes for I mean, it's, it, it goes for a lot of other guys in a similar position. I think of Ryan Feltner. I mean, he's just a couple big league outings, exactly two big league outings ahead of what we've got going on at the top with Rollison. So it's interesting to at least frame this. And I suppose that's a good lead in as far as you mentioned in your rock pile on Saturday. And if you guys haven't taken a look at this, go on purplerow.com. Fantastic article that Kenneth put together. And this is all about I mean, the title of this is Rocky's Prospect Questions We Want Answered in 2022. And you said part one, so you teased us implying <laughs> that we're going to have a whole lot more of this. So I could only fit three, so there's at <laughs> least one more coming. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions that need to be answered still um, within the organization, and that's true every season. Um, so, like, I, I started that at the beginning of we enter 2021 with – okay, what's it going to be with Riley Pine? How is this going to go? And not great is, is kind of what we found out. And then there was the the Arenado trade. It's like, man, did we even get anything at all? And then you see Elahiris Montero absolutely explode. So you're like, all right, well, that, that gives us some hope on that front. So it's nothing new that we have questions. But um, the three that I started with, uh, just to look at, really revolved around Helcris Oliveras, Brenton Doyle, and oh man, not Jaden Hill. Who was my third? Oh, you're making me pull up my. <laughs> this is a great right look now. here already. But, <laughs> it was uh, Brent Doyle, Brent Doyle, Oliveras, and Montgomery. <laughs> Benny Montgomery. There we go. Because I'm saving uh, Toglia and Jaden Hill for the next one. 
Um, I was prov- I was provisioned. I was literally reading the first paragraph as you were on that monologue. Yeah, that was the I had I five. And f- yeah, I don't think anybody wanted to eat fifteen hundred words on the first go. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, when we look at Montgomery, when we look at Doyle, when we look at Oliveris, one these are all very important pieces of the Rockies' future. Um, Oliveris is fitting into that boat of guys affected by the lockout right now. Uh, but Doyle and Montgomery. Yeah. We will get to see throughout the entire season Um, when we talk about Doyle and this fits pretty well into the discussion of how the upper levels of the minor leagues is going to look. Bretton Doyle is one of those few guys that is kind of that high end talent that we are expecting to see at double A this year. Um, How he performs is is going to be very telling. It's going to be a very revealing year for Brenton Doyle because on the surface, the dude's a freak athlete. He's an amazing outfielder. He has a good pop and speed package. And you're like, all right, I, I signed me up for that in center field. But he also jumped his strikeout rate to 32% last year or just south of 32% against high A pitching. So now when we get to double A, triple A, it's no longer the try hard. It's a little bit more of the prove it and and show just how close you are to being a major league ball player. So if we see Brenton Doyle break out, then we're kind of getting that assurance and we're seeing that high end talent for a full season and it's takeoff time. This is our dude. If we're seeing 32% get worse against better competition, now we have a little bit more of a question that, you know, how how far away or what kind of player do we actually have on our hands? Um, so he's going to be a really interesting one. Um, when we get to Betty Montgomery, I mean, dude, this is boom or bust, and it could be a really big boom. That's that's the cool thing about it with Betty Montgomery. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound down on it necessarily because um, – Joe Doyle, who used to be at Lookout Landing, he's now at uh, Prospect Live, I believe, did an excellent job on SB Nation back in the day of giving prospect profiles. And he broke down a lot of really premier athletes who have some possible swing changes or concerns um, that ended up being just absolute studs. And some of the more recent ones looking at are what Joe Adele has turned into, at least on a prospect side. We're hoping that that clicks Kyle Lewis was another high-end one. You can dig deep into the archives on Mike Trout. And, you know, obviously Mike Trout is not what anybody says this guy will become. That's too high of a standard to hold somebody like Montgomery up to. But regardless, those conversations existed with those guys on the ground floor. And Montgomery is kind of in that boat. Um, So we saw Zach Veen go from high school straight to low A and become a stud. And he is now just a clear cut number one for the Rockies organization. Well, now it's our time to see what Benny Montgomery does over the course of a full season. And if he has the aptitude to really adjust to pro pitching and, you know, concentrate his swing adjustments into game action and game results, man, he could, he could leapfrog Bean because the rest of his profile is that electric. Um, and then Oliveris, you know, we'll just touch on it briefly. He is an absolute stud ace caliber pitcher, but he needs to throw strikes because, <laughs> I mean, in just short of 100 innings last year, uh, he allowed something like 89 free passes between walks and hit by pitch, uh, hit batters. And 
you just can't have that. I mean, that's something that you can't afford to put onto a major league roster. So he's already on the 40 man. The clock is ticking. We've known his name for a long time. We got to see him in the cactus league in 2021. You know, the stuff is there. It's just that, that, that area needs to improve with him for him to start kind of reaching towards that potential that we all know he has. You know, I like that analysis and I think it is interesting. I mean, all of those, all those names that you just mentioned, Oliveras is 21, Veen is 20, Montgomery is 19. It's interesting to really assess. I, I hate to say the maturity, but I mean, I guess the playing, like the actual on field maturity of, I believe Zach Veen and his plate discipline has been revered. And I mean, it's a direct reflection on the walk rate that he's able to put together in his pitch selection. And that's, very, it's something that's just uncharacteristic of a 20-year-old at that level. So I think that's a very good way of looking at it. And it is really interesting when you compare it to, you know, the 21 or younger prospects that are in the Rocky system. And you see that with a guy like Oliveras on the pitching side as far as, you know, I will be the first to raise my hand and say it is extremely difficult to throw strikes in a lot of situations. I mean, it was directly reflected with what Oliveras does have. And again, you're looking at such a high ceiling for what it could be if it does pan out. And I mean, it's, it's, I, this might sound a cheesy way of putting it. It's a charismatic delivery of the way he literally <laughs> throws a baseball. Like, I mean, it's every, like if you're a kid, you want to throw a baseball like he does. But it's, it's amazing to really assess this. And I mean, especially to try to get a grasp on, you know, the comfort of where these guys currently are. I imagine, you know, Zach Bean going into 2022. He's already proven that he has the plate discipline to handle the pitchers that he's faced all throughout his professional career. So I'm thinking if you're taking the field, you have that level of comfort, you have that level of awareness, you have that recognition knowing that you can handle what's about to be thrown your way. And, you know, this might also be a silly way of putting it, but if anybody follows Benny Montgomery on social media, you will instantly recognize that this guy is tremendously comfortable in his own skin. Like he gives me the attitude. I get like the Larry Walker perspective of that guy lives the way he wants to live. And that's, I mean, he's, he's comfortable doing it, which I think is commendable, especially at the age of 19. And especially when in many respects, he is one of the younger guys on the teams that he's playing for. So it's interesting to assess this. And again, I don't want to necessarily compare social media behavior to on field action type of thing, but I think this is something that's really going to play in the Rockies favor, especially seeing that, you know, the maturity is continuing to progress itself. And I mean, out of all those names that you mentioned, I think Oliveras is kind of a clear cut question as far as where is he at on the developmental time frame, just because of the amount of base runners that he is essentially giving free passes to. So that's, I like that look of it. I suppose, you know, if you look up and down the prospect rankings of what exists with the Rockies, we've got guys like Jaden Hill that are in a similar position that you know, yes, you've got the LSU experience. I, your face just lit up right there. I know you're all, you're all over this guy. You know, this we is something together when he was drafted. And that's right. That there the you go. Time. Believe it or not. Yeah, I we got all sorts of giddy Union Station. When <laughs> we Jayden need to tell the people. Guys. That's right, man. I guess we need to go back on this. We had a little purple robe meet and greet. I, that sounds cheesy to even call it a meet and greet. Goodness, a greet and meet? How about that? <laughs> well, I think it was, it, was, <laughs> it was the day of the home run derby. Is that right? uh yeah i believe so I, the I futures game yeah it was futures yeah, I, game in the morning and then draft that's in right that's right yeah because i remember i was taking the light rail back wondering if kumar was going to get drafted to the rockies and then he didn't <laughs> he and, yeah, okay. and he still can that's the <laughs> that's, fun there part you go. <laughs> i'm still waiting on that one and yeah. I, I have got off the train though <laughs> still round three taking kumar or trying to take kumar 
Oh my goodness. No, that is right though. When Jaden Hill got drafted, we were sitting at Union Station. You and I are just hanging out, getting we're waiting for the gates to open for the home run derby at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And he got picked and I was scrolling through and I was like, Rocky's on the clock. Jaden Hill. And instant I mean, I knew enough of the story, but like I think you kind of like I think you jumped out of your chair. I think there was some air between Yeah, I think my words were exactly like, no way. Really? <laughs> It's not it's, spot on. It, we were we were talking about this before we jumped onto it too, but this is kind of outside the norm for what the Rockies have done. Um, I think one in the compensation round because they always brag and and boast Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story. Look at what we've been able to do on that. A lot of those are high school hitters that they threw the bonus money at because they went under slot in the first round. And then we're able to influence these guys to, you know, go away from Arizona State for um, Arenado and then for Story, let's say Maine, because I don't know where he was supposed to go to college. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, so they've had success in those comp picks, but this is a lot more general on how a lot of other organizations have gone about it. When you look at teams that pick in the back of the first round consistently, they are taking a Walker Bueller who is coming off of injury, but you saw enough upside of that player before to where you think you might be able to get a really good player at a discount because of his current state. The Rockies did that with Jaden Hill, and that's a, that's a gamble that I really like because it can pay off big time. Trevor Story going to Maine? We, we couldn't pick like a Tennessee or a TCU. You know, I thought it'd be fun to throw something out there. Let's go Appalachian State. Is that better for you? I'm sorry. That was the one thing that I took from that. The most. that was awesome. I have no idea. So I figured I might as well go preposterous with it. He wasn't very I, must well admit, yeah. I, I did look this up. He, it was LSU. So ah. I also, I, I didn't know this myself. But Maine I was a close second hand. then. <laughs> it was between the Black Bears of Maine or the Tigers of LSU. <laughs> look what we ran into. No, but I mean, I do like that kind of perspective. And it is interesting, especially when you look at I mean, yeah, ironically enough, LSU with what Jaden Hill was working with, it is such a limited sample size. And, you know, at the same time, I think you can definitely argue that the SEC is in similar competition to, I mean, that's that's essentially a ball in many respects. I think you could kind of go as far as, I mean, likening it to a good portion of those rosters are going to end up there anyways. And the top half of those rosters are playing every day for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's uncharacteristic, and you did have a very good point before the show. I want to give you the credit on this, talking about, you know, he was a compensation pick. He wasn't the he wasn't the Riley Pint that was at the way top of the draft board that was, you know, the equivalent of an NBA lottery pick type of thing. We're talking about, you know, this was essentially playing with house money for the Rockies. And when you realize that, you know, you're going to need to bet big, maybe there is a bigger picture. We already have guys like Chris McMahon that are in the system that could easily pan out, that could easily be – you know, essentially, I hate to call them the safe bets, but the more proven bets that have a proven workload in the college game. You know, you took a shot on a guy that could have easily been a top 10 pick, assuming he stayed healthy and stayed on the innings totals that was, I guess, realistically expected of him at that point in time. So, you know, a lot of questions there. And it, I mean, for, first of all, it's awesome. And I mean, mm-hmm. believe me, if he was locked out in a 40 man guy, I would be devastated because if there's one guy that deserves some work, it's him. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's it's fun to see this, just to be able to recognize, you know, who are the people that are going to be able to make a jump? If you look down, I just have the MLB pipeline prospect lists on here as I go through and I look to see, 
you know, who are the ones that are essentially going to be filling some shoes? I suppose, you know, Carl Kaufman, I think it's realistic to see that he'll remain in Hartford. And, you know, assuming all of those recent signs like Ty Block are meant to substantiate and cover the AAA rotation, I think it's realistic to see a guy like him starting in AA, continuing to mature. You know, he's 24 years old at this point, so I wouldn't necessarily say that he's behind the clock by any means. But at the same time, you know, if his if his continuation of where he's been, the natural progression, let's say he gets off to a really hard, the hot start in Hartford, you know, it would unfortunately be at probably the cost of somebody like Brandon Gold, that that would mm-hmm. be kind of who would be substituted out of the AAA rotation. But I think there is something to be said about that. And I'm guessing, you know, it's it, it's fun to be able to piece together level by level, what do you think the pitching rotations are going to be? It's not so much fun to just instantly cross out the 40-man guys and try to fill those gaps in between at that point in time. But, you know, with a guy like Jaden Hill, you really don't know, you know, essentially where do you – this is kind of a loaded sense, but where do you put him? I mean, do you just put him in Fresno by default and just kind of see where it rolls from there? Or do you just assume that – do you kind of put him on an expedited path, or is this the kind of thing that you want to capitalize as early as you can? It's definitely a unique case with Hill because it, one, it's all going to be determined by his rehab from Tommy John, which sure. off the top of my head, I think that was in May of 21 where he got cut. So one, his health is going to determine when he's ready for competition. And then I think the other thing that factors into Hill is there's no real questions about what his ability might you know, be. When he steps onto the field, you're probably going to be expecting high 90s with a pretty sweet changeup. But what's his role in the long-term picture? Is this a starter or is this kind of that back, you know, solid back-end bullpen piece, future closer guy? Because I think that that's more the safe bet that we talk about with Jaden Hill as opposed to the safe bet with Chris McMahon, which is I'm pretty confident this guy is going to develop into at least a middle-of-the-rotation starter. Um, so I think, and this is just in, in, in my opinion, we'll see how it goes, but I think the Rockies want to hit the ground running with Jaden Hill being a starting pitcher. So what I could easily see being the plan is extended spring training, whatever that looks like after his rehab has completed to the point where maybe he just debuts in the complex league, full fledged starting pitcher. Maybe he tags into Fresno. Um, you know, towards the end of the season for a couple of spark, uh, a couple of starts to see how it goes, but they want, I think, to to get him rolling as a starter, build him up as much as possible, and I could see that coinciding with when the uh, the ACL is ramping up. So they would probably just think that that's the next natural step. I do think that's probably the good way to go about it. And I guess if there is a silver lining, it's good to know that, you know, he has had a taste of what like a packed stadium truly looks like in like an intense SEC environment. Granted, the body of work isn't as big as you want it to be, but, you know, I can only imagine post COVID post Tommy John, it's probably pretty gratifying to realize that you've pitched in front of a couple thousand people in a pretty hostile environment, as opposed to, you know, let's say he was doing this at a mid-major college that's lucky to maybe scrap a couple hundred people together, and it's a pretty like quiet Maine. environment. Like, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> You're about to throw out some other big-timers right yep. there. That's good. This is the, the all-main episode. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's going to be somebody out there. We're going to get some hate mail from the people way up in the Northeast, and they're going to be like, what do you got against us, man? I have nothing against Maine whatsoever. <laughs> 
I really wish they had landed Trevor Story, though. <laughs> you never know, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, no, and I mean, it's fun to be able to look at this. And I mean, it's very interesting just because, I mean, I guess where I look and see, especially with, like you mentioned with Jaden Hill, I think it would be more exciting from a fan perspective. I mean, you want to see a guy like him start. Like, mm-hmm. for all the reasons that people get excited for. I mean, I can go back into the archives of, you know, the excitement that existed when John Gray debuted in Colorado, the excitement for Kyle Freeland, of course, early in the season, taking a big time home opener in the capacity that he did. It's, I mean, the enthusiasm that would exist there. And I mean, granted the debuts are always exciting, but all the while from what he's been through, where is the risk? Where is, I mean, it's in a similar frame of, especially when you've had procedures like that at such a young age. And when you have such an electric type of fastball, like he does, I realized that Julian Fernandez wasn't ever really touted as the starter that we might miss. I mean, at least in recent history, of course, he's been limited to the bullpen ever since he had Tommy John surgery. But I think that it's very easy to look at Jaden Hill in a similar capacity. And he also happens to be a similar age to Julian Fernandez, just a couple Mm -hmm. years removed. So it's going to be interesting to me. Of course, this is going to be largely dependent on where he is in the natural progression of his recovery. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, you take a couple, probably an extra couple months of precaution just to make sure that he is safe and he is taken care of after that procedure that he had last May, like you mentioned, but boy, that's going to be exciting. Like we, I, I really don't, we're going to be talking about our perps list in a minute, what it is that we put together our rankings on. I, to this minute, I have no clue where to put them. Like seriously, that is the biggest condition of this. So it's, yeah. it, that'll be interesting. And I mean, I'm curious. I mean, I'll give you the final thought on this before we go to a little commercial break. But, you know, when we look at the ranges on this, and I mean, feel you can kind of introduce this as a teaser because this is going to be our whole next segment at this point. So, Kenneth, I just backed myself into a corner. I was going to phrase this as like a transition into our commercial, and now I feel like I need to ask you something. And you said something, and now I'm like, we got to let this gold flow. We could just sit here in awkward silence for the next minute while the commercials <laughs> roll. Now, I mean, Please just say finish, something. Yeah, there you go. The, the, to finish the thought on Jaden Hill, 2023 is going to be the real telling year. Um, it's going to be build him up, make sure he's ready to go, and, you know, get him some exposure at the end of 2022. But when we talk about the Rockies prospect rankings today, Hill is enough of an unknown that you you see the upside, but there's going to be a long time. We're going to have to wait until he proves it. So he's a bit of an enigma that you can probably stick somewhere in the top 15 comfortably. Um, But he's, he's a good example of the Rockies turning around their overall talent. And when we talk about the perps list, we're going to see that he is, you know, within that top 15 with a lot of other, a lot of other names that, are giving us hope for the future. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. There's a bunch of enthusiasm to be had with that. You know, let's assume that he does, I mean, inevitably probably make his way to Fresno at some point. You know, that's all the more, that's all the more excitement to be living in a minor league town like this, because you're able to take a look at something really come together. And I mean, that's an awesome storyline. And not to mention that they've got new lights out there out in Fresno. They got a new scoreboard coming in. There's even more enthusiasm to come from it. So they got some pretty sweet new uniforms, too, that if you haven't checked those out, be sure to check out what the Fresno Grizzlies got rolling on the social media accounts because introducing some of the coolest uniforms that you are going to see in 2022. And if somebody from their team shop happens to be listening to this, I wear a size large, so that would be pretty awesome, you know. But needless to say, we are going to take a short break, but coming up, we've got a full rundown on how Kenneth and I are piecing together our own prospect rankings over at purplerow.com. 
one of our favorite segments coming up as far as a recurring bit that we have on our site. We've got the perps list gradually being unveiled through the coming weeks. All of you listeners can directly be a part of our ranking systems. We get that content rolling. We tell you how to vote. We tell you how we're putting our ballots together. And we'll tell you all the juicy nuggets that you need to know about all of this perps list business. Until then, don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report podcast. Kenneth and I just put together some next-level investigative strategy. Right when we went to commercial break, Kenneth says, does the University of Maine even have a baseball team? After we hyperbolistically said that Trevor Story was committed to Maine. He, he was not. He was committed to LSU, for the record. We looked up Maine's baseball schedule. They opened at LSU. Fellas, we can people. We cannot make this up. They opened at LSU. You did some quick math. They got outscored fifty-one to fifteen. Is that right? Mm-hmm. In the three-game set. That's that's tough scene. That's, yeah. that's I mean, I, I suppose that's kind of to be expected. You know, that's I mean, good for them and experience of a lifetime for those for those yeah. black bears up in Maine. I think it reinforces Trevor Story's decision on, on his <laughs> college commitment. Uh, was pretty strong. <laughs> pretty good choice on LSU overall. But when we are talking about U- uh, University of Maine and the Black Bears, let's give a little bit of love because there are two former Rockies that did attend the University of Maine and our alumni. <laughs> that is Bill Swift and Mark Sweeney. So there is some main connections here. You that, know, look uh, at the look at what you opened. Out. Like, look at this. You just arbitrarily said a team, a state in the furthest corner of the United States. And now look at us just bringing the people together. Mm-hmm. Just giving them what they want, man. You get a little the, bit of everything. The Rockies are a nationwide story. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> we go out to Hartford, and then we even go a little bit further north for you guys mm-hmm. that are checking this out. Next you podcast, I will come saying. up with another arbitrary college out of nowhere, <laughs> and let's see what connections we can find. This is like the Kevin Bacon right now. We're going six degrees to find some connection from some state to the right. One of our viewers, one of our people out here listening is just like, what are we talking about? If you've yeah. jumped to this, needless to say, if you have fast-forwarded to the second commercial, after, for, after the first commercial break, you might want to rewind about five minutes before we went to break, so that way you'll get all of the context that you need to know. And now we're going to need to find a way to have a tremendous transition from this main extravaganza to... I see what you did there. Yeah, no kidding. To the actual juicy business that we have all gathered here to talk about. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report podcast. Here to break down the yearly segment that we put together. I suppose we put it together at multiple times throughout the year. So it's a recurring yearly segment. season. There you go. This is a prospect ranking system here at Purple Row that is called the Perps List. That is capital P, lowercase u, capital R, capital P. And before we get started, a huge shout out to our guy, Jeff Averly, for putting this content together over at Purple Row. You'll catch his bylines over on our main website. And he really has taken the reins of this and ran with it year after year. And, you know, the fact that he's able to keep this so sorted and so put together, that is a tremendous operation that he's running on this. So I want to show Jeff a lot of love on this. 
there's a good chance that you're familiar with these lists if you've been following our articles over at Purple Row and assuming that you guys are as viewers and listeners as versed as you presumably. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a pretty like niche diehard group of people if you're checking out prospect rankings right here. But anyways, assuming that you guys have kind of an awareness on this, if not, go ahead and check out our website and we'll cover just kind of the basic what you really need to know. So we have our guests in our little notes that we have, you can kind of look at the cheat sheet of the prospect rankings that MLB pipeline puts together. And, you know, they throw this on a national scale. They have a pretty good, a pretty good operation for what they have. And this is our little direct twist of, you know, getting our viewers directly involved. And especially because there can be so much variance in these prospect rankings. For example, Jaden Hill on the MLB pipeline listings is currently ranked 12th. And, you know, assuming you guys are very versed on what the organization does as the Rockies, recognizing this not so much on a league-wide scale, but on a direct organizational scale of, you know, what you guys know as Rockies fans, just because you guys follow this as intently as you do, is huge in being able to inevitably piece this together and really speak well on, you know, the future lineage of what this franchise is going to be. And it's, it's fun to see this too. And I like seeing different people's lists because it's something that, you know, one, you're kind of playing fortune teller a little bit, and it's fun to be able to try to project these guys, but two, because there are a lot of people that go way back in the history of the Rockies as fans and following the progression of these guys, you know, sure. It's fun to see these guys naturally progress into the big leaguers, but it's fun to start really tracking the patterns and who has played really well, especially within this organization. Each organization is going to be different. Each organization is going to gradually evolve into something bigger than it was previously, of course, and that goes heavily on the prospect side. But we're going to be able to talk about, you know, where do we necessarily, we're not going to tell you guys where to rank people because we want you to think for yourselves, of course, but we're going to really cover who do we think needs to be higher ranked than some may think, who might necessarily be lower in that same capacity. And, you know, Kenneth and I are going to really touch on how we necessarily put our lists together. So again, this is not meant for us to think for you guys. Like the part of the fun of this is that everybody's able to think for themselves and put together some good stuff. But, you know, I will turn this over to you as far as, you know, what do you look for when you're piecing your list together? Of course, Kenneth, this is a guy that's, I mean, any avenue of Colorado baseball, I think you have it pretty much checked at this point in time. But, you know, as you put your list together, I kind of want to see, you know, what is your necessary, what is your strategy? What do you look for? Do you look at, you know, is it the metrics? Is it the period? Is it the previous statistics? Is it the body of work of where they've been before? But what are the main, I guess, features of somebody's portfolio that you see? And how does that really apply into your rankings? Um, well, one, I just want to start out with that. I'm always going to be a step behind Russ Oates, who likes to have his contribution onto the perp polls every single time. I can't, you know, I, I can't go against the number one prospect being prospect one and the number two being prospect two. So it's something where you're meant to have fun with it. And I just want to reinforce that for anybody <laughs> who does actually check these out. Um, when it comes to just kind of how I look at it, you always have to kind of look at what kind of a major leaguer do we think that this guy can become? Because whenever we're talking about prospects and whenever we're looking at farm systems, the ultimate goal is major league player. Will they become one or won't they? And then it goes to the caliber of, okay, how, how, pivotal of a role could this guy actually fill is this an everyday starter is this kind of more of a utility player is this all-star potential is this you know hey maybe there's a little bit more here or a little bit less here than we saw so 
um, you always look at what the ceiling is. And when you look at somebody like Zach Veen, we look at Zach Veen and we just kind of start salivating over like, oh, this could be a stud all-star right fielder for us in the future. Um, and then another thing that really is important that you have to keep in consideration is age. When we look at somebody who is, you know, not not to sound um, disingenuous over it, but more of a career minor leaguer, somebody who's a little bit longer in the tooth in their experience in the league, if they're having success, then absolutely you want to root for them. I want to see Winton Bernard this year personally. There get, you go. Get to the major leagues. And there's been a history of guys like Stephen Cardulo or something like that where they have long pedigrees and they finally something clicked and they ended up making it to the major leagues. Connor Joe was a good example of that where he turned the corner. You don't necessarily look at Connor Joe on a list like this heading into it though and say, oh, I'm dreaming on what Connor Joe can become because he's kind of a little bit more established at that point. So when we look at some of the younger guys like an Oliveris, like an Ezekiel Tovar, um, especially when we kind of start looking at the much lower short season levels like the Arizona Complex League and the Dominican Summer League, there's a long way to go, but you're also seeing some high-end talent that maybe one day can become um, you know, that impact of a player. So age, um, you know, what we see as their ceiling, what what ability they have to impact a game, and then also just keep in consideration their performance. You know, if somebody has all the tools in the world, but it's not showing up in games. They're carrying a career six FIP or, you know, they, they can't muster a 250 average. Then that has to, you know, factor into your consideration too. So look at the overall picture, keep in mind what age they are and dream on them. You know, I think that's, that's a very stand up way of seeing it, especially, you know, when you see the different stories that apply into it and, I guess the one kind of variation that I like to put on it is it's very difficult to look at traditional box scores and think to yourself that this is going to be the natural progression because there could be a guy, you know, let's say, let's say I'm in double A, for example, and I need to really develop and I need to really hammer home on a secondary pitch. And let's say that that is the primary motive of an organization. I don't know if they would say something this cut and dry, but, you know, let's say that they're just saying, we want you to land this for a strike. We don't care what happens outcome wise. We just need you to show that you're progressing this pitch. You're putting it over the zone where we kind of need it and that you're showing that you're continuing to develop this type of thing. You know, point being, if I'm hanging a couple sliders doing exactly that, that could necessarily, that could be a bad outcome in the grand scheme of a box score, but if that is what you really need to see to continue to progress, you know, again, it isn't so much of where is the product right now? When you're ranking prospects, it's very much where are they going to be when they inevitably walk into Coors Field and when they're meant to be the polished product that we're really looking for. So that's deceiving. I know that's very mm -hmm. tough because I'll be the first to point out that I love looking at box scores and just shredding through that kind of thing. And at the same time, you know, I think that there is still a lot of validity to have out of it because, you know, the direct performance of a box score is a huge motivator for players because, you know, I'll put it this way. If I am doing what my organization is telling me to do, landing those sliders, but if I'm getting hammered, you know, my morale is going to be very low. Like it's, it's very difficult to show up to the yard going, yeah, I'm doing everything you're telling me to do. And meanwhile, all other 29 organizations are kind of scoffing at you going, what's up with this guy right now? So you want me to give up long balls. Am I understanding <laughs> yeah, this right? Yeah. I know that's it. Yeah. And I mean, it's a simple type of thing. And I mean, I understand, you know, it might not necessarily be that cut and dry as far as when you're putting that together, but it's, it's amazing to really see this. And especially, you know, the picture is so much bigger than so much of us can really imagine. 
And I think that is part of the reason that it's so fun to be able to monitor prospects because you're not looking at it in the traditional sense of how are they performing on the day to day. And I mean, it makes putting these lists together extremely hard, by the way, because that's, but I mean, that's part of the fun is because there is this eternal kind of guessing game of everybody's trying to piece it together for themselves to get that level of understanding. But there's so much more than what goes into it and other than just a simple box score. And I guess a good representation was, you know, take Ezekiel Tovar in the Arizona Fall League, for example, if we want to take you know, the body of work that we saw from Ryan Feltner in Hartford being able to make that jump. It's it's a similar kind of guideline. And, you know, again, you see the natural progression. You see who's put, who's piecing it together and filling it up. But it's also fun to really look at where guys are hitting in the lineup. This is another mm-hmm. thing that I've looked as far as lineup construction because, you know, Bud Black very much has outright authority of whatever the Rockies lineup is, the starting nine. He gets to put that together. And, you know, and that's not to say that the authority doesn't completely exist for the minor league managers, but there is, I'm sure, farm directors and a lot of conversations of we want to give this person some opportunities in this part of the order and we want to see what they're able to do. And a manager doesn't have the direct output that we might see at the big league level. So those are, I mean, that's that's kind of a whole mess of different things that you're really able to consider when it comes to it, but as far as it, it's a whole lot easier cut and dry when you use actual player examples. And I suppose this is something that we were really going to start tying into. So as far as, you know, is there anybody that you believe to be undervalued? Is there people that you do, you believe are overvalued? I understand we've already touched on, of course, Zach Veen and Benny Montgomery. I think there's going to be very hard reasons for anybody to go against them at one and two, but is there anybody that you have seen presumably are dropped from, you know, even if you want to just take a look as reference of the MLB pipeline rankings or the previous perps list that we've had, is there somebody that you're really high on at this point in time and who would those people be? Yeah. So it's the, the top kind of speaks for itself for the most part. I think, um, I think that where I gravitate are a few more guys that are under the radar, um, and everybody has their own story. And this is kind of what you were getting to. There's no objectivity in this whole process. It's just kind of what you're speculating could be the outcome, what you have the good feelings on, you know, what is speaking to you more about this player um, being a little bit higher potential um, than maybe others see it. And somebody like Isaac Collins on the position player side um, is that for me. I think that this is just kind of a, He's proven to be such a good up the middle, reliable athlete that also earned the right and just ran with the chance to be a leadoff hitter, a top of the order, a catalyst for a lineup. Um, I think that that's somebody who they don't necessarily have that plan for him. They're not digging in and saying, we need to get this guy to start becoming familiar with these roles. I think this is somebody who just kind of takes that opportunity and runs with it and earns that chance to, to kind of live in that spot in the lineup and that spot in the field. So I think there's a lot to be said for the performance side of what Isaac Collins has done to this point. And if he keeps on building from it, that's not necessarily somebody that is showing up on everybody's top five, top 10 range, but not every major leaguer is a top five, top 10 prospect. And so that's just the way the game works. So it's impressive on on Collins. And then on the pitching side, um, I know the boys at Blake Street Banter do a good job, but you, I can't say enough about Duke and Darnell last year. The story is cool. Um, the, the numbers were just nuts. He just destroyed uh, both A-levels last year. 
And for somebody who basically had to self-promote to get into organized baseball, to get into professional baseball, to show up and just completely shove for an entire season says <laughs> a lot. And so, you know, Darnell, he's a reliever. That's never kind of, you know, those 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 ones that make your eyes gleam. But he has performed really well. And anytime that you can develop a reliable pitcher for Colorado, that's a good thing. So, you know, Darnell, I think, should be getting love on lists more than he does. You know, I do like the Dugan Darnell kind of premise as far as, you know, he's coming straight out of independent ball from 2019 to 2020. And just the resiliency of especially you start seeing, you know, yes, he was in Fresno for a decent part of 2021. But at the same time, you know, he was already somewhat refined, but he had to do all that refining himself in independent baseball. And that's a completely different perspective. And, you know, for anybody that lived through the COVID-19 pandemic, which I suppose we're not completely out of the woods just yet, but you know, all of the uncertainty that faced the world and especially the baseball world, all the minor leaguers were shut out of it. And, you know, he was a free agent. He wasn't even an affiliated ball at that point in time. So he's already proven the resiliency of, I think his ERA that year in 2020 was like a 0.3 in independent ball. It was something just absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, again, the resiliency that comes out of something like that, I think there is truly a lot to be said about a guy like Dugan Darnell. And for a good reason, I know our guys over at Blake Street Banter big time fans of what he does. I think everybody has a good reason to be a fan of what he does. And, you know, I do like, I mean, the supporting character of what Isaac Collins has been putting together. It's tough because he shared a field with Zach Veen so much of last year, and he might've been kind of the secondary product to what Zach Veen was putting together around and that vicinity of the lineup. And yeah, of course, it's quite the lineup that we've got down there, but you know, it's fun to see the versatility of what he's able to piece together. And, you know, assuming that roster in Fresno last year is a natural progression up through the ranks, I think it's going to be fun to see if we really have a core of players that inevitably works their way to Hartford and beyond from there. So that's going to be, I, I like those picks. And those are people that you may not necessarily see on a lot of different draft boards, just because of, I mean, the status of where the organization is set at this point. But I do think that those are people that assuming that they've done what they always have done, that's in a position to really skyrocket from where they currently are. So that's going to be pretty cool. And of course, you know, I got to show always some love to my guy, Isaac Collins. If you want to know why just dig through some old college baseball rosters and you'll see some familiar names. We'll leave it at that. Pull up the tape, man. We've talked about it before. (laughs) <laughs> Longtime fans of the show will know what we're talking about right there. <laughs> um, I suppose, you know, some names that I'm kind of, I suppose that I'm big on is hot corner guy, Warming Bernabel. This is a dude that we saw in the complex league for extended periods of time, worked his way up through Fresno last year. I, he only appeared in about 20 games for Fresno last year. But, you know, the work that he put together in the complex league, and I've just got some tables right now, his OPS was over a thousand, which is probably, I mean, he's all pushing like a 1.2 OPS, mm-hmm. which that's for, for the kids at home that want to process that one. That means he's, he's pretty darn good hitter right there. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see because especially last year, he was 19 years old. He debuted in the Dominican summer league when he was 17. Of course, COVID kept him limited, but you know, straight out of the shoot after missing an entire season because of COVID in 2020, this is a guy, you know, he put together a slash of, 432 454 743 goodness that's even better than i thought it was now i'm really glad that i mentioned his name 
It's silly <laughs> video game numbers. That's yeah. that was his complex league last year. Sure. And I mean, you know, some people might be, aver- especially while you're piecing your list together, you might be like, well, hey, wait a minute. That is the complex league. And he did kind of backpedal a little bit. He had an OPS of 601 when he was in Fresno in the back half of the year. So again, only 43 games of work last year. It is a limited sample. There's still a lot of questions to be had on this. However, when you get off to that hot of a start, especially straight out of where you are, I think it's going to be very fun to see. You know, this is a dude that you can presume will come out to a very hot start this year, just based on what he's already proven and when his body's fresh and ready to go. So I think it'll be, I mean, there'll be more answers to this, you know, when we get into the dog days of summer, let's say there's an inevitable promotion where we see him at a little bit of a higher level, but I'm really big on what he was able to do at the complex league, especially at that young of an age. His body frame, he's six foot 180. He's not necessarily the biggest third baseman that you're going to run into. But the fact that he was able to showcase that level of power in the complex league has, I mean, people like me pretty sold, especially realizing he's doing that at 19 years old. And as we continue, again, when you're putting these prospect lists together, I like to think of it as what's the path towards the inevitable frame of what a big leaguer is going to be. I think that, you know, there is some development to be had. Of course, with any 19-year-old, there's going to be some development to be had. But, you know, that's my guy that I feel like I'm pretty high on. And I don't really feel like I, – I, I have no reason to believe that's not going to work at this point in time, which is also the reason that sometimes you want to just hit a brick wall because your prospect rankings might – actually, no, if you take your prospect rankings that serious, like, come on now, let's just call it <laughs> what it is. But – you know, I think that's a fun one to be able to piece together. And, you know, I don't necessarily like to bash anybody that I feel like might be too high on the listing because, I mean, of course, we, we don't get on this show to spread the negativity on this kind of sense. But is there anything that you believe somebody might be a little bit overtouted? Again, I don't want to frame this in a negative context, but is there something as far as, you know, the natural progression of somebody that you think there's, you know, maybe a roadblock that they're going to need to overcome in order to get to be the prospect that we're thinking of? Or is there something that you kind of view as a challenge on the horizon for one of these top ranked guys? Um, you know, I think I'll, I'll turn it a little bit and just focus on some of the more divisive names that I think that are on this list. I that, That's um, actually, but yeah, you frame, frame it like in a negative sense i like yeah and hey i mean this is this is just the natural life of things is some guys will pan out some guys won't and then when we talk about the rockies in particular i mean it's not unfair the way that you posed that question because uh we have way too many corner infielders and corner outfielders and specifically corner infielders so when we talk about roadblocks it's like okay colton welker and ella harris montero um and ryan mcmahon and cj cron so like (laughs) You know, there's other things that factor into it. But when we talk on the divisive side of it, I think a good starting point is Michael Toglia. Um, because, you know, Toglia, one, first base needs to be figured out for the long run. And that's <laughs> needed to be figured out since Todd Helton retired and it still isn't. So a lot of eyes are kind of peer towards Toglia um, to see, okay, can you be that dude um, who is, you know, a long-term first baseman and maybe Montero or maybe Welker ends up being it, who knows, but totally at least former first round pick, switch hitting first baseman, smooth fielder. You're like, cool, I'll sign up for Mark Teixeira. But then you also see very low batting average power on base skill, you know, needs to, needs to really outweigh the contact side of it for him. So um, he's one of those names that I think it's a little bit harder to 
there, there's more variation on somebody like Michael Toklia because some people might believe, sweet, I, I see Joey Gallo coming around in this. And others might say, I see somebody who's really struggling to hit double A pitching. And I think that's only going to get worse when we get towards a major league product. So um, Toglia is one, I'd say another one that we can look at, you know, we touched on this earlier, but hell Chris Olivares, man, that's just real high risk, real high reward, you know, high floor or uh, high ceiling, low floor is kind of the terminology in scouting circles. So Olivares Hey, it, if it, if it just starts straightening out and the control comes around, this is ace level caliber, and it's hard to disagree with somebody who wants to put them, top, you know, towards that top five with Oliveris because an a, an ace lefty that shoves and is going to be, you know, the the anchor of a staff. Absolutely, I would sign up for it, but you can't neglect the fact that it could never reach that potential. There's a very fair chance there, so. Um, I'll go with Toglia and Oliveris as kind of my two most divisive names towards the top. You know, I, I do like that. I think that there's a lot to be said about, you know, the variance that you see that could exist between these particular guys. Um, I suppose another name that I would probably throw in there would be Drew Romo as a catcher. He spent exclusively 2021 in Fresno. And it was, I mean, it was very streaky, you know, especially as a catcher. He was 19 years old. He was two years mm-hmm. younger than the average guy in low A. So, I mean, there's already something to be said there. OPS of 784. I mean, I suppose, you know, from somebody drafted as high as he was, you might kind of prefer, you would you would hope that maybe those numbers were somewhat higher. But at the same time, you know, you give him the catcher discount in the lineup, you realize that, you know, he's developing, catching the best talent that he ever has. He went from catching high school guys in Florida to catching – Dudes like Hal Chris Oliveres, <laughs> so there's something to be said there. Like, seriously, that deserves a lot of respect in and of itself. But you know, recognizing that he's finally got that one year of transition under his belt, I would probably kind of favor on the side of I think Drew Romo could be higher in the projections than what some. I'm I personally am pretty high on him just because I recognize that you know the transition phase is now over. Now it's the matter of the true development of. You're not necessarily shocked to be there. I'm not saying he was shocked to begin with, but he's got the initial wave of getting used to what's going on. He's got that out of his system, but at the same time, he hasn't he hasn't caught anybody else other than those low A products that are really kind of unrefined at this point in time. You know, presumably it's going to be easier because I imagine you know at that point in time, I'd rather catch some guys spotting up in double A than catching some wild stuff going on in low A at this point in time. So. It's interesting to see that because as catchers, you know, you have to almost be better at these lower levels because you're facing more errant, unpredictable type of pitchers that are a little bit more de- more behind in their development. But what is it going to be, you know, when it comes to maybe even calling his own game if you get to the big league level or how it's going to work all the way through? I think there is something to be said about, you know, when you debut in an organization at 18 years old behind the plate, that means you've got you know, let's call it the five years of a window to get up to the big leagues. That's five years of organizational control that they can mold you into the kind of person that you want to be. And, you know, if you go through the lineage of, you know, recent hall of fame catchers, I, I imagine a lot of them are in that similar perspective. So, you know, not that I'm trying to say Drew is going to be a hall of famer right now. Like, Mark let's, down. <laughs> cut it loose. You heard it here for you're the first ladies and gentlemen. I'll, no, but I'll, I mean, that's, Oh, go ahead. I'll expand on Romo just a little bit, um, just because like you brought up a lot of the good um, that came with Drew Romo last year. And I think that 
that's one of those where you kind of have to take it and say, okay, I can maybe change my opinion because one Drew Romo comes from a pretty negative demographic, which is high school catchers. That is just, you know, in, in, in scouting circles and in draft rooms, high school catchers and high school right-handed pitchers are the most boom and bust, you know, high volatility um, type of prospect. When Drew Romo came out, it was pretty well regarded that defensively he's going to be capable. And he reinforced that a little bit last year on that initial exposure that you talked about. Um, as he gets up against higher competition, at least having the pedigree and the background of being a good defensive catcher, will you, there's enough to lead you to believe that that will continue. Um, where Romo, I think, surprised and where it's really going to be telling with Romo moving forward is he hit, I think, a lot better than people expected him to. Um, if he is able to adjust to the higher level of competition, not only receiving that, but also making the adjustments with the bat, that could turn him and really solidify that, okay, this is something special that we have moving forward. We talked about Toglia and the hole that's been at first base since Todd Helton retired. Well, that's the entire existence of the Rockies at catcher for the most part. Chris Iannetta has had a good run, but for the most part, there's not been a lot of stability back there. So if Romo, as he gets into high A, maybe even approaches double A towards the end of this year, can prove it with the bat um, and he'll reinforce what he did last year, that's a huge, huge positive sign but it's a high school catcher that's still very young for the level of competition. And you kind of wonder, okay, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead with my expectations for it. Sure. You know, that's very cool to be able to look at this and I guess to recognize, you know, hitting better than he, I think you hit the nail on the head in that kind of sense of, you know, what is going to be like, you know, when you see that double a jump and you start facing, you know, the refined pitchers on the play. I mean, he's seeing both sides of the pitchers, I suppose. I think something that I do get excited about is, you know, the Rockies catching coordinator, Mark Strittmatter. He's been a guy that he's been experienced transitioning position players into catchers. He's been able to, he's essentially had a couple blank slates that have worked through the system. I mean, just recent lineage of, I guess, Rockies catchers that aren't named Elias Diaz, if we want to go back through the archives there. But it's fun to see that he truly has a product that he's able to shape that was a catcher all along. And it's not mm -hmm. necessarily we're trying to transition position players into this role that might be on the back end of their careers in the minor leagues. This is a guy that's going to be a raw product that, you know, we can really see the developmental sense of what Mark Strittmatter is able to do at this point in time. And that was, I remember when he was first selected, that was something that I got really high on. It was actually Patrick Lyons over at DNBR that led me onto that discussion. So I got to show some respect where it's due right there. But yeah, not to mention that guy knows absolutely everything under the sun. Let's call it what it is. So it's pretty good. <laughs> He's not bad. Too. <laughs> Big shout out right there, man. But no, I mean, that's, that's the fun thing to be able to recognize on these rankings. And, you know, it's, it's easy to get lost in this, but at the same time, it's easy to have a lot of fun with this. And it's, it's mm -hmm. I mean, this is where you're able to pick, you know, who your guy is. Like if you, if you really feel good about somebody in this kind of sense and, I mean, you can kind of let your bias show on this. And at the same time, you know, the point on these on these ranking systems that we've got over at Purple Row is to have a whole lot of fun with this and to be able to at least kind of just start the conversation ultimately. And that's yeah. the biggest reason why we wanted to have this podcast and host it was for you guys, because this is an avenue to have that conversation. This is an avenue to be having a whole lot of fun while we're doing it right there. 
And then you never know what we're going to run into. We're going to start talking about University of Maine baseball for all that matter. Start going on some good stuff, man. I mean, we're going to start our own separate podcast on the University of Maine Black Bears and their season, I think. I don't know. It's It's not for sure yet. But I mean, no, what I was going to say is we started the episode off talking about the lockout and, you know, all how big of a drag it is. But silver lining being that maybe some people who wouldn't pay as much attention to the minor leagues start becoming a little bit more familiar well, when we talk about the perp list at Purple Row, this is one of those devices that's kind of always been there. Nobody has to be an expert on all 30. You know, you don't have to step in and say, you know, I've scoured the Internet and got video on all of these guys. No, this is you. This is the chance for for you as somebody that consumes baseball media to just get acquainted with some of these names. And, you know, it gives you a reason to start following. And then when you look up and you say, oh, yeah, I remember them talking about warming Bernabel and they couldn't stop laughing at his name, but I might as well look him up and see some video. And I'm like, oh, this guy is actually kind of a stud. So it's just a good opportunity to get a little bit more exposure to the minor leagues and for the Rocky system in particular for people who wouldn't normally do that. That's exactly right. And I guess the one thing I would add on that is it's fun to be wrong every once in a while. Oh, yeah. It's fun to be low on a guy that ends up proving your expectations completely wrong. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's fun to at least follow this natural sense of how it all goes. And at the same time, it's fun to really root for a lot of people that are coming together. I mean, whether it be the guys that might be AAA lifers, like, you know, we've got, as you mentioned, we've got, it's, it's funny to see this because, I mean, the Frank Duncans or the Brandon Golds that are inevitably, I mean, if if they are, call it what it is, stuck in AAA, we've got the storylines that we have all the way up at the top like this. We've got the younger prospects like the Drew Romos that we're able to sort through and realize that they're on a completely different scale as those other guys. But, you know, all of those people, I mean, anybody that's watched the movie Bull Durham will be able to attest to all the different storylines that exist in the minor leagues. But that is truly what makes it a lot of fun to be able to host this podcast. And I guess on top of this, it makes it a lot of fun that there are so many people that are truly interested in the content that we're able to put together. Um, If there is a silver lining for the lockout, is this like going to be some of the top performing Pebble Report podcasts ever right here? Like now that we got the full spotlight? I mean, hopefully. I, I would love, I don't know, I am I either gained a lot of fans or lost a lot of fans from the University of Maine <laughs> call-out today. So let's oh just see God. how this one goes, and then we'll kind of go from there. We can't be talking about how well we performed on the viewing just yet right there. We're going to have to <laughs> give that a little time. If the people like it, there will be more. <laughs> there will be another episode, believe it or not. So make sure you're sticking around. We'll make sure we get all that coverage going through. But we are so thrilled to be bringing back the Pebble Report podcast. In the meantime, be sure to check us out on Twitter for all kinds of real-time updates. You can find Kenneth at KW1988, myself at JustWick, and of course, Purple Row all over Twitter as well, at Purple Row. Big thanks to all of our colleagues, all of our coworkers over at SB Nation. Be sure you're checking out that Affected by Altitude podcast, even though they have a little bit less to talk about these days than we do at this point in time. Still make sure you're showing some love, and they've got some great operations going over there. And then on top of that, all of the media personnel, all of the players, and everybody in the minor league cities that are represented by the Rockies. A huge thank you. Biggest thank you of all to all of you people listening and tuning in. We're going to make it through this lockout one way or another, whether it be big league or not. We've got a little bit of minor league business coming your way. We can't wait to get this opening day kicked off in about a month. We welcome the minor league season back. And on behalf of my co-host and Purple Row writer, Kenneth Weber, my name is Justin Wick of Purple Row. Looking forward to bringing you this all season long, having a blast doing it. And until next time, Let's play ball.